love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. We make each other better. She always reminds me about what actually matters. You know, love conquers all. Wherever he is, I I want to be there, always. She just always accepted me for who I was. He makes me a better person. It was like love at first sight. Well, love is the most important thing. I love acting, I do. I love movies, I love connection, I love emotions, I love being raw and open and create and give to the world. And I get to do all of that in my job. Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. This week's love story belongs to Steve Lund, a Canadian actor who you may know from such shows as Bitten, Street Legal, and Schitt's Creek. He's currently starring in two holiday movies on a small screen near you, Christmas Bedtime Stories and Six Degrees of Santa. Once upon a time, though, Steve was an accomplished hockey player on his way to the NHL until an unexpected turn of events made his lifelong dream of being an actor come true. This is the Canadian Love Map. Hello, Steve Lunt. Hello, Nancy Regan. It's so good to have you here. It's very nice to be here. I think I have to be transparent and say that I have known you since you were a much younger man slash boy. How old is your first memory of me? Like, how old would I have been? I want to say... 15. Yeah, okay. Does that sound right? That sounds about right, yeah. How old are you now? 18? I am 22. (laughs) That's a lie, folks. That's a lie. (laughs) How did you end up in this world? I'm billing you today as the Canadian king of the Christmas rom-com. How do you like that title? I accept it. And as I say, hey, whatever puts a roof over my head. So yes, I, I am a staple in the Christmas season, I, I like to, to call it the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> um, and all, all of my friends know that they'll be able to see my face on the, on the medium-sized screen every year. Uh, it just seems to be the thing that puts food on the table, yeah. Specifically, this whole Christmas phenomenon is like kind of in the recent last decade or so. For me, it's been, I don't know, six or seven years that I've been on the circuit. And they just seem to call every year. Is it always Hallmark? Not always Hallmark. I did one for the Lifetime channel this year. It's called uh, Six Degrees of Santa. Um, same format, essentially. But Hallmark, I think they're making something like 70 new movies a year, all about Christmas. Really? Yeah. <laughs> something like that. I could be wrong. Maybe that's like their whole calendar. But it's a lot. It's quite a factory. They keep me afloat, and I always have a great time making them, and I know that they mean a lot to a lot of different people, so it's nice to nice to get the chance to do it. So it's an interesting job in that your whole role in those movies is to convince the viewer that you are truly falling in love with someone. Mm-hmm. 
And what is the secret to that? Well, sometimes it's not so hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, Say and, more about that, Steve. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into that. Um, it can be a really tricky territory to navigate depending on the chemistry, depending on the circumstances where people are in their lives or the particular subject matter. The stars can align mm -hmm. in, in a moment and you can feel something that feels a lot like love when you're you know showing up every day and staring across at a, a beautiful person who's you know made up to the nines and they're staring back at you with exactly, love in their eyes exactly you know um it's easy to surmise how some of that can be mistaken for real feelings you know when you're truly just the, the victim of a fantastical setting i think mm -hmm. but a lot of the time it's just two professionals just doing their thing um, without any possibility, potential of, of real feelings there. There's always a kind of like one moment where you're like, oh, what's happening here? Or like, could you? Unmistakably, like without fail, there just seems to be kind of that moment in every one of those pairings, I think, where it's like, could this happen? Hmm. The fun part about it for me is as loyal of a, of a person as I am and, you know, I know now that these things aren't real. It's fun to go there and just feel that for a second. Yeah. Do you know? I, I think Even if it's manufactured. Exactly. It's like electricity. And you know that nothing will happen. It's fun and very human mm -hmm. to just feel the thrill of that. And it's, I think it keeps you engaged in your own relationships too. It gives you a little spark. You know, I've been single or I've been in relationships when I've been working on these things and no matter what, there is just a little gift to the heart and a nice little sort of nudge and a, a warm hug in there, um, which is fun. Yeah. Where did the thrill of acting start for you? Go way back and tell me where the roots of, of you as an actor live. Well, I think you could go back as far as December 15th, 1959, when my father was born. <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm intrigued. Go. Yes, uh, as you know, my father is a very uh, a boisterous personality. That's a good word. Yeah, um, he's a storyteller, a raconteur. He's an entertainer, although never billed properly for that. He just sort of lived his life making people laugh. His intention was always to just show people a good time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I picked up on that from a very early age. The phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree was the one I heard the most when I was growing up. I would be in the hockey dressing room with him at age five, you know, just absorbing as much as I could. Before I knew it, when I was relating to other adults, they would always comment on how mature I seemed mm -hmm. and how I could have a conversation with these adults. Your dad has told me that uh, they used to say, go down and play with the kids, Steve, <laughs> and that you had a preference often for hanging around the adults. That's right. Yeah. I would be going to get them drinks. I think I made my first rum and Coke when I was about eight. Uh, <laughs> I got pretty good at that. Yeah. I just wanted to hang out with the adults. Yeah. I just found their company very comforting. So I think that's where it was born. That was the, the nucleus of it. And when mm. did that thought sort of form, oh, I want to be an actor? I tell this story a lot. I, uh, I was obsessed with Indiana Jones when I was in my young years. 
I was thinking along the lines of what I wanted to do when I grow, grew older, as you, you, you field that question when you're, <laughs> you know, eight, eight years old. And uh, I said to my mom, like, what does Indiana Jones do? And she said, well, he's an archaeologist. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be an archaeologist. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, race around on horseback with a whip and a gun and get <laughs> all the pretty women and all the artifacts. And, you know, that's going to be my life. <laughs> I think within the year, I started to discover that archaeology is a far cry from what I saw on, on screen <laughs> and Spielberg's adaptation of it. And I was like, wait a second, that sounds a lot more boring than than what Indiana Jones does. And she's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, he's an actor, you know, playing this part. And this is when it kind of first clued in for me, really, what an actor did. And I was like, okay, well, I want to be an actor. I think I must have been earlier than that, maybe six or seven. So from that age, I was saying I wanted to be an actor. Mm. And I told everybody I wanted to be in movies. And I was obsessed with movies. I watched them all the time. I had an Uncle Brian who passed away 14 years ago now. Who was such an influence, I'm sure, because yes. Brian was bigger than life yeah. and everybody loved him. Yes. He was the best one of them all, they'll all admit. All mm -hmm. the rest of the siblings would say, yeah. would agree with me. And, and his loss has not been in vain. He was very interested in film and he would always talk about the current films that were out. You know, they would ask Brian, well, what's good to see right now? And he would have a, a comment on, on every film and he knew every director and what was going on. And I remember remarking that it was so cool and that he just, you know, could rifle off all of these, these details about the industry. And so I started to take an interest in film and I would go see movies with him. And uh, that's where that was born. And when he eventually did pass many years later was around the time that I was starting to think about it in a serious way. And when he did pass, there was a part of him that was passed on to me, I feel like. And mm -hmm. I felt a responsibility to live that dream that, that he possibly had and never really acted on. So That's a beautiful way to look at it, though, and, yeah. and that lit the fire under you in a way. Yeah. To live your authentic life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. life's too short. And this was a very important, it still is the most significant event in my life. He's living vicariously through me, I think. Mm -hmm. so. There was something in the way, though, because you mentioned being on the hockey ice at five. What we haven't talked about is the fact that you were a really talented hockey player and you started to climb the ladder, so mm -hmm. to speak. Yeah, that just took off without really even realizing it. I, I think the biggest factor was that I was an early bloomer. And I grew very fast. I was very large uh, at every stage of, of life. I was always the, the biggest one in my class. But around, yeah, that 9, 10 age, I was not very interested in hockey. Um, my dad and I used to, you know, wrestle at those 6 a.m. practices. I was not, you know, interested in enough. So was he dragging you off to practice? Quite literally, yeah. The first <laughs> hockey scar that I ever sustained, it's right above this eye here, was from him grabbing me by the pants and throwing me in the car oh. and me accidentally hitting my head off the door frame. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that is Which he was, uh, he felt quite badly about. Uh, um, he's not a violent guy. Not at all. No, no, no. But he's, he's passionate. It just reminded me of how much he had invested in it. And I said, well, there's got to be something to this if he's if he cares this much. So eventually I got very large and was able to physically dominate on the ice. And then I think the skill 
we, we worked a lot harder on honing the skills and then it just took off. And before I knew it, I was on the path. It always felt at every stage like it was happening before I could really even take stock of it. You couldn't absorb. I couldn't absorb it. Yeah, it all felt like it was happening too fast or that I wasn't deserving of it. But you were really good. In fact, I don't know if your dad's dream was for you to be in the NHL, but you appeared to have been on the path. I think any person that grows up playing hockey and loves the sport and sees an opportunity for their their son or daughter to to have a a fun life in that in that forum, yeah, it's their dream, and they want to see their their child happy. And I eventually, because there was no avenue really, it felt like for anyone my age to pursue acting at that time. Mm-hmm. I did a few Neptune classes, but I didn't really see the immediate path to take for that. And so it, that kind of fell by the wayside. I didn't really see anyone else, any of my peers doing that. So I didn't really know if there was uh, really much to it. It was kind of just sort of a, a dream that I put in the back of my head. And a lot of people must have been reacting to how much prowess you were showing on the ice. Yeah, yeah. I, I put a lot of time into it. I worked really hard. You know, I don't think that beyond my physical capabilities that I had a lot of natural occurring talents. It, Felt like I had to work really. I mean, I, I say Sounds that. Sounds like someone with imposter syndrome. Well, yeah. <laughs> I recognize this. <laughs> and I, I realize that I, I say that from a privileged place physically. Um, I definitely had all of the tools and, and you know, the pedigree for it. Um, but I worked really hard to, to get those skills, to hone those skills, and became obsessed with it and just worked very doggedly at it. Just used to shoot five, 600 pucks a day. You know, my dad would joke that I wasn't allowed to have dinner before I hit that 500 mark. You know, were you were you shooting at a, a dryer like Sydney Crosby, Crosby was? No, I was. Uh, we converted the garage into like a giant shooting gallery, and I blew the back wall out of it a, a few times. <laughs> and that wasn't until we got the the fishing net that I could shoot at. Um, but yeah, it was just a hockey factory in our house. You know, both my sisters played mm-hmm. with boys up until they were, I think, in their mid-teen years. My mom played, obviously my dad played. Um, yeah, it was it was a really fun time. So hockey was your life. Yeah. And you were in the Quebec Major Junior League, mm-hmm. so you were really doing well. But then something happened to change your trajectory. Yeah. Speaking to that uh, imposter syndrome, all of this sort of happened before I could really take stock of it. I, I was eventually being touted as a first round draft choice, you know, which is just narrows down the, the field. And now you're actually seriously being considered for the NHL draft. Mm-hmm. And this was very overwhelming to me I'll, at the time. I, I thought there was absolutely no way that I have what they see. But it just, you know, I just went along with it. And uh, I ended up in PEI where I was playing for the, the Rocket. Had a great rookie campaign and was having a lot of fun on the ice. And in that off offseason, um, I was ranked in the top 10 for the upcoming NHL draft. Wow. And I remember seeing that ranking and just being like, this is crazy. I don't, I don't feel like that's the kind of player that I am or the, the kind of person that could really even pull that off. Everyone else is sort of telling me that this is great and all of this stuff, but I was uncomfortable with it and really wrestled with it. And that weighed on me and I, I started to crack under that pressure and my game fell apart a little bit. And the particular coach that I had at the time didn't really know how to handle that. Mm-hmm. And 
took a very aggressive disciplinary approach with me. And being a sensitive kid at heart, I, I didn't respond well to that type of instruction. And I just doubled down and that just compacted this sort of voice in my gut just continued to grow louder and louder and I couldn't dig myself out of that hole and I just, my confidence was gone entirely. Mm -hmm. And my game sort of fell apart. I was very depressed. I was getting uh, bullied not only by my coach but other teammates psychologically. I was dating a girl at the time, bless her heart, she was a sweetheart, you know, in, in puppy love for the first time and that was occupying a lot of my mind. So I could feel my heart leaving the game mm. and I wasn't in love with it anymore. So something changed there psychologically and then my circumstances changed. I ended up getting traded to the Mooseheads, the team that I grew up watching and idolizing, possibly the best place to play junior hockey in Canada. Mm. Halifax is an amazing city for that. Uh, you know, they get a great draw every night. The, the fans are super loyal. The organization is top tier. And so I went from a very dire situation to the best opportunity I could have possibly imagined and everything changed and I was coming back to life. I felt a resurgence within me. Um, I was poised to make a really great comeback. And the fans were excited because you were a Halifax boy. A local boy, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, it was incredible. I can't say enough about the experience. The, the community was so supportive and wonderful and loved engaging with the fans and feeling like I had that responsibility to be the ambassador for Halifax. I really took the celebrity of it and wanted to be responsible. Uh, I took that very seriously and mm -hmm. very gravitated to that aspect of it big time. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I just took a shine to and loved doing. I, I used to work in hockey schools and would always interact with the parents and the, and the kids. I, I just loved that side of things. More so it's than like I like. It's like miscongeniality. Yeah, in a way. exactly. It's I like the giver. Yeah. And, you know, I probably wasn't going to win the beauty pageant, but I would be most <laughs> well liked. That's what it felt like. Absolutely. And then unfortunately, I, I, uh, I sustained an accident in the off season. I was playing pickup hockey uh, with my best buddy at the time. And there was a guy on the ice who took exception to us being the the new generation of what he mm -hmm. once was. And uh, he ended up sucker punching me. And I sustained a third degree concussion. Oh my gosh. Right there on the ice. So it wasn't even a hit in hockey. It was a sucker punch. Yeah, it was very uncalled for. I was skating on the ice. He was skating to the bench. Already had his gloves and helmet off from a, from a skirmish that had just happened before that. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what I said or whatever set him off. Whatever I did, it didn't, the punishment didn't fit the crime. And, uh, he hauled off and cracked me one good. And I was out for a whole 10 minutes. It was really bad. Woke up in the hospital and all of a sudden I've got this to deal with. So I was set back five months of that development time that I was trying to put into mm. my, you know, tightening my game up again and get those scouts talking again. It was, it was really poor timing, but yeah. In the long run. Or was uh, it? Or was it? Exactly. I was going to say, you said, yeah. unfortunately, this guy hit me. And I, I was going to come back to that and say, was it unfortunate? Well, unfortunate <laughs> for my health, but yeah. for my heart, no. It was, it was what eventually set me free. Getting out of hockey when you don't absolutely have to is kind of like getting out of the mafia. 
it feels like in yeah. a, in a hockey town in a place where there's a million people who would kill to be in your position, you know, and work their whole lives and 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 envy where you are. You feel this responsibility to pursue it to an end. We couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centres. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centres are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit charmdiamondcenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. So you, it was like you were on a freeway with no exits. Exactly. In a way. Exactly. It felt like that. Yeah. I felt very trapped. Something I kind of came to a conclusion on eventually that I was living somebody else's dream and it wasn't, wasn't my own. It wasn't speaking to me anymore. So the concussions kept happening. I, I went through spurts of time where I was playing really well and then I would get another concussion. I would just mm -hmm. set back once further and further. Finally, I, I got hit from behind and my cervical spine had some swelling on it if i continue along this path i could be a quadriplegic if i get hit the wrong way it was basically the straw that broke the camel's back and i was like okay that's it i'm quitting and around that time i had been sort of surveying some of my closest friends what would be the best avenue for me if hockey didn't work out and i was like well you know what i i have always wanted to be an actor and as soon as I said that to them, their eyes lit up and they were like, yes, that makes so much sense. You were the guy to do it. Yes, pursue it. If you want to, you can do this. And I heard that over and over again from my closest friends. If you want to do it, you're the person that we know that we think could do it and really enjoy it. That's an awesome message. I know. I had the greatest, most supportive friend group. It was just and universal and not just my friends, my family too. My mother was mm. like... Okay, well, if you want to do this, let's do it and let's do it properly. You're going to go to school, you're going to make all these connections and you're going to treat it like you did hockey and you're going to put that same discipline into it and really sink into it. And she was instrumental. I could not have got off that that hump without her. She she did everything to make that transition as seamless as possible and she was amazing. And, so where uh, did you go from there? From there we touched base with a lady named Valerie Hallman, who's a local uh, production manager here in Halifax mm -hmm. for Magic Rock Productions, who do a lot of movies and television shows around here. And she put me in touch with her, and we got my first audition just to sort of feel if I, you know, if I enjoyed it, if I had what it took. And if you had potential, Potential, sure, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe I would have hated it. So I had that first audition. It went extremely well, and I thought, like I got a call back for the audition. The director, this man named Jay Dahl, who's a local guy, I've spoken about him before. He came up to me and he's like, "Who are you, dude?" And I was like, <laughs> "I'm just, I'm just a hockey player, and I, and I like movies. I don't know. I, I think I could have a lot of fun doing this." And he goes, "Okay, I want you to come back tomorrow. I'm going to give you some notes. I'm going to see what you do with these notes." So I thought, "Oh my God, I'm going to get this movie. I'm going to." book my first audition what an a and e biography story this is going to make you know <laughs> and you had no real training apart from a few theater classes exactly as a kid. Yeah. yeah and and being a being an outgoing child and mm -hmm. a and a born entertainer you know an inherited yeah. entertainer for sure and so I, I came back the next day i was working at the hospital at the time so i was in my scrubs i didn't even really like dress the part 
And I did the audition, applied the notes the best I could, and this director came up to me again, and he goes, do you feel that? And I was like, yes, I, I think I do. I feel amazing. I feel so validated and so celebrated and beautiful and creative. He goes, are you thinking about doing this? And I was like, you know what? My mom and I were talking about potential acting schools. There's this one out in Vancouver that sounds really great. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes, now I can't cast you in this movie because you have absolutely zero experience. And I was like, <laughs> right, of, co of course, fair enough, sure. But go west, my son. Hmm. And I was like, okay. And I ran home and I told my mom, I was like, mom, this is what happened. It was the greatest. I feel better than I've ever felt playing hockey right now. So let's do this. Let's sign up for this film school. And I shipped off a month later. So yeah, I, mean, I had a clean break. I was involved. I was enrolled immediately and I was loving it from right from the very start. Really? Right? As I mean, soon as you got into yeah. acting school, you knew, yes. I, I said from the first week that this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life, hmm. which is a very nice feeling to have considering all of the tumultuous times that I had just been through. Um, it was really affirming. And you didn't have the same kind of imposter syndrome that you had experienced no, in hockey? No, I, I felt like I was home. In my first few days, and I'm out with some of my new classmates and getting to know each other, and we're getting the libations going, and everything's feeling like it's falling into place. And I'm like, wow, I, I, I'm actually not a jock. I'm like a theater geek at heart, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think that's who I really am. New definition. Yeah. When I got to this school, I was like, oh, these people speak my language. Mm -hmm. You know, this is really cool. And we all have this one thing in common from whatever background we came from. And yeah. what was the job that you got that was like, oh, that was the TSN turning point? It was definitely Bitten, the, mm -hmm. the werewolf series. Yeah, that was the biggest one to date. That was like new stratosphere for me, even though it's still <laughs> a few few levels down from, you know, that, that A-list top tier stuff. It was like, wow, okay, this is a really special opportunity for me to be a regular on a series, to get a steady workload, to get a really exciting character, to get to do drama, action, a bit of romance, you know, a bit of comedy, like all of these genres in one, these really wonderful people who were all mid-level in their careers. And this was also the biggest thing for all of them. So there was no like big egos in the room mm. or jaded people. It was really just this harmonious cornucopia of people who were all in the same place at the same time, basically. It was perfect. And we got on like a friggin' house on fire. It was great. It sounds like an amazing crucible for learning as well. You yes. weren't in school anymore, but yeah. your learning was not done, right? Exactly, no, I mean, this was a whole different education. Like this workload is serious. I'm really dependent on here and I like that responsibility. Best experience I, I had. Okay, so a lot of people will know you from your uh, series appearances on Schitt's Creek. Mm -hmm. What was that like, getting that job and doing that job? Because, you know, now it's, it's kind of an iconic show. Yes, it's the Canadian Seinfeld, somebody said to me the other yeah. day. You know, it's syndicated, it, uh, it's immortalized. It's the first of its kind, it feels like. It feels like the beginning of a whole new chapter for... Canadian content, you know. Mm, it was uh, innovative. Innovative, yeah. And just, again, right place at the right time, I think, for, for so many of those people involved. Can't say enough good things about the writers, producers. Dan especially was so good to me. 
very grateful that I even got to step on that set at all, let alone the five times, I, five episodes, I think, that I uh, recur in. Well, you you made yourself noticed. You were a bit of a beefcake. Is that a fair description? That's okay. I'll take that any day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Some people... They like, oh, I recognize you from Shit's Creek. And I like to say, wow, I'm surprised you recognize me with all my clothes on. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. So was it a fun environment to be on that set oh, yeah. with all those comedic oh, yeah. geniuses? Yes. It was intimidating. And I consider myself a relatively funny guy, but you're in the room with real powerhouses and you kind of have to mind your P's and Q's. And just that I have so much respect for comedy that I would never want to step on anyone's toes. I'd just sort of like let them go. The hardest part that I found that I've I've spoken on record before is being that person that wants to joke and and ham it up and all this all that stuff and being around those other people. Um, that's what I wanted to do with the character. And they kept having to reel me back in. Right. Because that's not really what they had in mind. And I saw there was an education in a lot of ways in how comedy works because it was really my first comedic endeavor of that scale. You need one straight character, for lack of a, a better term in this case, mm -hmm. given that I was pansexual. But you need somebody to react opposite, so you have your wacky characters and then your straight character. So I was being you know, positioned as the straight character, and I found that difficult because I had to censor myself. I couldn't sort of jump in. I had to be a little bit more calm than I am usually. Mm -hmm. And you, uh, weren't, you weren't meant to try to be funny. Exactly, yeah. And therein lies the, the humor. That's how it works. Right. So that was very educational for me in that regard. Well, you learned it well because you were amazing. I don't even know that I learned it well. I think they were just that good at telling me what to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was like, again, a sponge and asking them and didn't have any any ego about it. I'm like, teach me. I just want to make myself available to you in any way that I can. And that's how I like to be on set. So they kind of steered me in the right direction. I give all credit to them. My teammates get all the credit. <laughs> had a couple good bounces out there. It's a typical hockey interview. But. Has it blown you away, the success of the show since then? Because you would have been shooting your scenes when? Oh, 20... 16, 17, yeah. I think, 17 maybe. So then you sat back mm -hmm. and watched it take off like a rocket. Yeah, it's crazy. Really crazy when they won all those Emmys. Yeah. I was in quarantine at the time and uh, watching and just being like, wow, this feels like, because I know they put, put a nice button on the, on the series and they were ending things, kind of quitting while they're ahead is kind of what it felt like. Mm -hmm. I know that Dan had other opportunities and lots of reasons why they did that that I agree with. But all of those wins felt like an acknowledgement to the collective body of work that they had accomplished rather than that last season, even though the last season was terrific and poignant and, and had so much commentary and wonderful messages and everything. But it really is immortalized now. And everybody loves it. Mm -hmm. It is that congenial program. Like nobody has a bad thing to say about it. Every walk of life. I've talked to so such a diverse community of people who were like, you know, I didn't think I'd like that show, but man, it's amazing. And that was so cool. Like I care more about that on a grand scale than I do that I had an involvement in it, even if it is a small one. Like I'm just happy that that exists in our industry for our people. It's bigger than any one individual. And that's the kind of energy that it carries. So 
I feel this responsibility to talk about that. Anytime anyone asks me, like, what's Catherine O'Hara like or what's Eugene Levy like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I really tried to impart the fact that this is a cultural moment, a very, very important one, I feel. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm hyperbolizing, but... Uh, I don't think so. I think there is such a, an amazing message about human kindness exactly. in it. Yeah. And there's so many, there's so many little lessons woven through it. Yeah. yeah. And it also... And that's not contrived. Those no. are Those are real things being conveyed there, you know. Would you say that you love acting? Yes. This is the Canadian love map. So let's talk about love. Yeah, that's good. There's lots of love in my life, always. Yeah, I love acting. I do. I love collaborating. I love movies. I love connection. I love emotions. I love being raw and open, vulnerable. And I get to do all of that in my job. That's pretty special. And tell stories and meet wonderful people who are like-minded and create and give to the world. I just want to create good content and I want to make movies. Mm -hmm. I just want to make them. Yeah. So what role did love play in your early life? Tell me about what you think when I say love, when you think about growing up in the Lund family. A lot of love in our household. Mm. Yeah. Even through it all, even through my parents' divorce, even through my father's health issues. There's so much love there. Yeah. He's a very colorful character who's gotten ahead of his health issues uh, in a beautiful way, in a very meaningful way. I'm convinced he did it because of the love that he has for his family and his heart. It's just huge. It it percolates through my mother's side and father's side. All of their siblings really love each other a lot. They they you know they may have had challenging relationships with their parents at different points in their lives, but it's just so much love. Um, I my siblings and I love each other incredibly. There was always a lot of love in our household even with the amount of discipline and strict, you know. Your mom was a teacher. My mom was a teacher yeah. and a very, she cared a lot and wanted us to have a good, you know, good life. And uh, she loved very, very intensely. I'm a softie. I'm a lover, not a fighter. And I heard that expression. My mom used to say that to me all the time. Well, you're a lover, not a fighter. And so don't ever forget that, you know. She used to say that I'm a sensitive boy. Mm -hmm. And I would I would tote that very proudly. I'm a sensitive boy. And I like being that way. You know, I'm the middle child between two sisters. A lot of female energy in my life. Love every single woman that I've ever met for for, for <laughs> just for that simple reason, that they are women. I really do love women and I'm nothing without them. I think that's where it comes from. I think if I could point to one thing, it's just the amount of female energy in my life. Now, you told me we could talk about anything. So Please. that cues the question, you've never been married. Nope. How does love show up in your life now? Oh, I, I would get married if the right opportunity uh, arose. I intend to, for sure. I, um, I've tried and I've made the effort. And it just I'm not shaming you. Let's no, be I know, clear. I, know. <laughs> I remember actually being, you know, twenty seven and yeah. having people say, Oh, you're not married yet? And feeling that social pressure. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually the phrase we used was an unclaimed blessing in my family. Oh my God, that's funny. <laughs> I was the Such unclaimed a polite blessing. Way to say it. But yeah, yeah, so I'm not pressuring you. I'm just curious. Yeah, so. no. 
ask away. You love women. I do. You just haven't found the one to spend the rest of your life with. Not yet. I've tried and I've thought at different times that maybe I had, but um, somehow I've always known that my path, it's not going to materialize the way that I envision it. I'm just going to allow it to happen Mm -hmm. and in the interim do the work and try to grow as much as possible to be ready for that. The relationships I've had have happened to me for a very meaningful reason every time and will never be in vain. Yeah, I think that that day will come. I am confident, but it's not today. So today I do the work. So what about professionally? Mm-hmm. What is on your horizon and what would you love to do? I would love to write and direct my own movies. Whether I star in them or not is not actually that important to me. More importantly to me is to get on that side of things immediately. I haven't done it yet. I don't know for sure that I would be good at it, but I have a feeling that I would. And that I have a feeling that this might be that time in my life. I'm not trying to put any pressure on myself, but it does feel like there is an opportunity here for me to uh, put pen to paper, literally, and uh, get going on those things. You know, I became an actor, not just because I love acting, more so because I love movies. And I just wanted to be involved in making movies. And I didn't really know how else to do that more easily than to become an actor, just given the personality that I have and my penchant for performance, as I like to call it, and perhaps my looks, just thinking that maybe this would be an avenue that I could do most immediately but that my highest purpose and my best service to the overall creation might actually be at the helm of something. I want to be the director, the captain, the one with all the responsibility, the one who works in that team setting Mm -hmm. where I can apply all those wonderful gifts that I was given in my hockey days where I was the captain and I was that go-to guy and I did have time for everyone and I did see the overall machine and all the different parts working in it. And to this day, every time I'm on set, I don't miss a single detail, nothing. School is life. Life is school. Life is school. Yeah. (laughs) And I just like, I'm very detail focused and uh, analytical and also a champion and a cheerleader and a good leader. Okay. So the one last thing I have to ask you about is what can people see you in right now, this holiday season, back to the, back to the captain of Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) So this year I did two. Um, One is for the Hallmark Channel and it's called Christmas Bedtime Stories. That aired originally on the Hallmark Channel. I think it's the W channel here in Canada. Um, So if you just type my name into your your uh, on-demand search bar, you might be able to find a place to view those. They, they air repetitiously over the, the holiday season, so there might be a few different viewings that you, you could catch. And then the other one that I did is called Six Degrees of Santa. All <laughs> oh, the titles are so good. <laughs> and uh, that one was for the Lifetime channel, um, and it aired on City TV here in Canada. And again should be available on demand as well. And there is one project that I'd like to plug that is probably won't come out until sometime in the new year, maybe even as late as the fall, but it is a passion project that I did in PEI about a 
private investigator or a PEIPI, if you will, <laughs> done by a, a local writer and director named Jeremy Larder, mm -hmm. who's uh, from Stanhope, Prince Edward Island. And it is called Who's Your Father? And it is a slapstick comedy of epic proportions and was a total dream role for me, a little bit more explicit than some of my Hallmark features, but a full circle for me going back to PEI and getting to, to work there yeah. and uh, getting to do a lot of that silly humor that I, that I love to do. And where will we see it? That one, I can't be sure. It's going to tour the festival circuit and then be okay. made available, I'm sure, to the local channels. I don't know, CBC will pick it up. I think he's, being, he's, he's pitching to CBC as a series. So That's the special thing. You put yeah. a movie together and then you don't know where it's going to go Exactly. From there. It's, so it's really out. cool. Yeah, the sky's the limit. But uh, if you do catch wind of it, I highly recommend you, you view it. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. But uh, if it is, the cup will be overflowing. Well, we're ending this conversation with a dot, 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 dot. to be continued. That's right. Can't stay, wait to see what tuned. happens next. Yeah, I have, a, I have a few prospects on the horizon and hope to tell my own stories someday. So I hope I have an audience out there somewhere. Well, you had an audience today. Thank you so much thank for you. being here with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And thank you for sharing always. Thanks for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. And if you want to help us spread the love even more, rate and review our podcast. It makes such a difference. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. <laughs>